Developing the right spirit generates positive wins that move you forward in life. This is the fourth message in the series, Tides, Waves, and Currents. The message is entitled, Develop Your Wind Power, Part 1. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Well, a few weeks ago, I started a series of messages entitled, Tides, Winds, and Currents. Uh, today, we're going to continue that series. Next weekend, I will wrap up the series. I would encourage you to, uh, to be a part of that weekend after next. We will start a brand new series entitled, It's Time to Change Your Mind. I mean, you know that your mind gives you trouble sometimes, right? So we're going to talk about how you change your mind and how you get your mind in a healthy place in your life. That'll be our next series. But this weekend and next weekend, we're wrapping up the series entitled, Tides, Winds, and Currents. That's really out of the book of Daniel. And our focus this weekend and next, this is going to be a two-part message, so you're not going to get everything tonight or this weekend, but you will get the remainder of it next weekend as we wrap things up. And our focus is really going to be on this one word, and that word is, say it with me, wins. I want to talk to you about developing your wind power. Two weekends, we'll talk about how do you develop your wind power. If you're a sailor on the, on the ocean somewhere, or actually any marine vessel, you understand that you can be helped quite a bit or hurt quite a bit by the wind. In fact, you will discover that the wind can work for you or the wind can work against you. And while there's certainly in life, all of us think about and talk about at times what we would call winds of adversity, the things that blow against us that we have to sail against in our spiritual journey, I want to talk tonight about another kind of wind, not just the winds of adversity. All of us are familiar with that, but I want to talk to you about the winds of prosperity. You may have not thought about that before, because as surely as there are winds of adversity, there are also winds of prosperity. There are winds of blessing that will come to your life as long as you're in the right position, in the right place, and the right attitude of life, and attitude of perspective with God, and in your relationships with other people. And so God wants to take some wind and he wants to move you forward. He wants to help your ship sail forward with some winds of blessing upon your life. It's quite interesting that the word wind in the Bible, uh, both in the Old Testament, the Hebrew of the Old Testament, and the Greek of the New Testament, the word that is translated for wind is the same word that's translated for spirit. Spirit, the Old Testament word is ruach, and that word is translated wind or spirit. And also in the New Testament, the word pneuma is translated either wind or spirit. And so there's a spiritual dimension to the wind. The very word itself helps us to understand that there is a spirit, if you will, and I'll outline this more this weekend, the spirit that controls us and directs us and guides us, and that, that wind that is controlling and directing and guiding your life is the wind of your life. Whatever your spirit is or whatever is going on in your spirit is like the wind. It's going to blow you in a certain direction. Oftentimes, by our attitudes, our spirit, in fact, of who we are and how we live our lives generates adverse wind. You can have a bad spirit, and if you have a bad spirit, you can anticipate bad things happening around you because you carry that spirit with you. And the opposite is also true. If you develop the right spirit, the right spirit in your life will generate positive winds that will move you forward in life. And one of the most remarkable things when you study the life of Daniel, you'll, you'll begin to see, if you study with this in mind, you'll see that Daniel was a man who had a good spirit. He had a right spirit about him. And because he had a right spirit about him, you see him over and over and over again 
and experiencing all kind of blessings and promotions even in the midst of great adversity. Daniel was greatly used by God, tremendously used by God. He reached his highest and his best for God because he had a strong spirit, because he had a right spirit. I want to take you to the book of Daniel, chapter 5. I'm going to go back over a little bit of what we talked about last weekend. We talked about, anybody remember what we talked about last weekend? The handwriting on the wall, and we talked about the tide of pride and how the king Belshazzar experienced a fall in his life because of, and actually the removal of his kingship. In fact, uh, the Babylonian kingdom ended and the Persians began their rule because there was the tide of pride. And at this moment, I'm going to take you back to Daniel chapter 5, but I want you today, we're going to look at not just the handwriting on the wall, but I want you to see Daniel in the midst of this story, and I want you to see something about his spirit. Daniel chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. Now, let me give you the setting of this. The king and all, remember the banquet that we talked about last week? There are thousands of the rulers that are there and all the wives and the concubines. and They're drinking from the goblets who were taken from the temple in Jerusalem. They're having a really big time. And the handwriting comes on the wall. Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson is the, written on the wall. Nobody can understand what it means. And they're trying to figure out here how this disembodied hand is writing these words. And nobody really knows what the words are all about. And so the king says, send me somebody that can interpret this information. I need to know what the, what the message is. This is so strange, so unusual. I need to understand it. Well, the queen spoke up after they've explored other options and other folks that may be able to interpret but were not able to. The queen speaks up and says, I know somebody that can help you, and his name is Daniel. And here's the story now. This is the, the queen speaking to the king about Daniel. There is a man in your kingdom who has the, what does he have? The spirit of the, now the reason she said the holy God, she was a, she was a polytheistic person. She did, she was not an understanding, she had no understanding of monotheism, the one and only God. And so all she can frame it in is the reference that she has in her own life. The spirit of the holy gods is in him. We know it was the Holy Spirit that was in him. In the time of your, in the time of your father, he was found, that was his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. He was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom of, like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for... Say that with me again. Call for who? Call for Daniel. That's a very important phrase. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. So the queen steps up to the king and says, King Belshazzar, I want you to know that your, your grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, had an experience. He had a dream. No one could interpret it, but there was a guy that's in the, in the ro royal administration now. His name is Daniel. You need to get this young man in here because he understands all kind of dreams. He has the spirit of God in him. He is able to interpret. Get him here, and he will help you to understand what the handwriting on the wall is all about. What I want you to see is that when they called for Daniel, they called for Daniel for one primary reason. What did he have? He had the spirit. spirit. There was something about Daniel's spirit. What's in your spirit? 
What's in your spirit? What is the spirit of your life? And who is in control of the spirit of your life? What spirit do you give off when you are around people, when you walk into a room, when you engage in your work, whenever you do whatever you do, what kind of spirit do you have? Do you have a Daniel-like spirit? Daniel was the go-to guy. When everything, when nobody else could help, when no one else could figure it out, who did they call? Call for who? For Daniel. And because of the spirit in, in him, it positioned him for promotion. It made him a leader. Again, he was the go-to guy. I want to tell you that the most limiting thing in your life or the most lifting thing in your life is your spirit. What will lift you to higher places in life or what will limit your life, will limit your potential. There are a lot of people whose potential is being limited because they don't understand or know how to deal with their own spirit. They don't have the right spirit. They don't keep their spirit in check. They let things happen in their spirit. They let bitterness occur in their spirit. They let offenses gather in their spirit. They let stuff get in their spirit and contaminate them internally. And when that occurs, I promise you, it's going to lower your rot, your life rather than lift your life. You can be as smart as a whip. You can be absolutely phenomenal in terms of gifting, but your spirit can destroy you. Your spirit can destroy you. And Daniel had the right spirit. I want to talk to us tonight about how to have the right spirit. Do you want to have the right spirit? You want a spirit that will lift you or do you want a spirit that will limit you? That's your choice, okay? Which one do you want, to be lifted or limited? Let me give you three things that I believe we learn from Daniel that will allow us to have a spirit that lifts us, that gives us wind power. Here's the first thing. Let me go to the next one here. Actually, we didn't get all these out, so let me get to the first point. Here we go. Read it with me. Be what? Be filled with be filled with God's Spirit. That's where everything begins. Everything begins with being filled with the Spirit of God. What did, this, what did the queen say to the king about Daniel? He has the Spirit of the holy gods in him. Again, she didn't understand how, how to articulate it, but she's now communicating the best way she knows how. And so we know that to be the Spirit of the living God. As we know God in Scripture, He is one but expressed in three persons. It's called the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Most of us understand something about God the Father. We understand, obviously, many things about God the Son, Jesus Christ coming from heaven to earth and giving his life on the cross for us, dying on that cross, being raised from the grave, his resurrection we celebrate. But we don't think very much about the, the Spirit. But God is three in one, one but three. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I want you to notice that this third person of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit, and he needs some attention. Because the Bible says one of the things that Daniel had was the Spirit of God was in him. And so you and I need to understand what does this mean for us. And I want to talk to you for a few moments about, about the Holy Spirit. 
We talk about God the Father, and we pray to God the Father. We talk about Jesus the Son, and we, we understand and celebrate and worship Him, but we need to understand something about the Holy Spirit. First of all, I want you to understand that the Holy Spirit is not an it. It's not a thing. The Holy Spirit is the third person of God. As surely as Jesus was represented in personhood of God, the Holy Spirit is the personhood of God. The way the Holy Spirit works and the way God works in lives is through His Holy Spirit. The way you became a Christian, the way you acknowledged Jesus as Lord of your life, as you heard the gospel of Christ being preached, and while the gospel of Christ was being preached about forgiveness of sin and what Jesus did for you on the cross, the Holy Spirit was working in your heart, helping you to understand how you needed this in your life. And so there's a cooperative unity of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. What made the difference in Daniel was that God's Spirit was inside of him. He had the right spirit, and that right spirit was the Spirit of God. And let me remind you that if you've truly invited Jesus Christ into your life, listen closely. If you've truly invited Jesus Christ into your life, I want you to know that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. It's not an it, a thing, a somewhere. No, the Holy Spirit has taken up residence inside of you. Let's look at some, some things about the Holy Spirit as Scripture teaches us. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Do you not know? Paul is writing, by the way, to Christians. Do you not know? Don't you understand this? Do you not know? Have you not grasped this? That your bodies, that's your body, your physical body, are what? temples or buildings, a place of worship is what a temple is, of the Holy Spirit you, receive, you have received from God, you are not your own. And so I want to lay that foundation. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. The right spirit is already in you, okay? We don't have to wait to get the right spirit. As soon as you accept Jesus, the right spirit is in you. And who is the right spirit? The Holy Spirit. But it's not just enough to have received the Holy Spirit. I mean, you know that you can have someone in one corner of your life but not have access to other parts of your life. You have a guest come to your house, you put them in the guest room, right? You don't expect them to be wandering all through the house, right? Well, because you're not giving them access. You're giving them, hey, you can stay in that room. That's your room. That's your bathroom. Don't come to my bathroom and don't come to my bedroom. And don't go to the refrigerator unless I invite you, okay? right? You set limits. You can have someone in your house, but still set limits upon them in your house. Are they in you, if you will? Are they in your house? Yes, they're in your house, but you have limited the restrictions. You place restrictions on them in your house. And so the Holy Spirit does not just want to be in your house. The Holy Spirit wants to take over your house, okay? And that's what's called being filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's not just enough when you invite Jesus into your life. Yes, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. And yes, you have the Holy Spirit. But as a Christian, you want to move to that place of not just giving the Holy Spirit a little part of your life. Hey, you can have this room over here. No, you want and we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice what Matthew chapter 3 verse 11 says. In Matthew 3 verse 11, words of Jesus, I baptize you with water for repentance, but 
after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will, this is John the Baptist speaking of Jesus coming, he will do what? Baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a moment in time when you really surrender your life to God and invite Him to come in and fill you to overflowing. That, that no longer are the rooms separated out. It's not your room here or your room. God, you can have that little part over here. But you've gotten to the place of saying, Lord, I'm asking you to fill up every room of my life. This is exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 verse, verse 4. As the Holy Spirit comes into the upper room in Jerusalem, there are 120 believers that are in that room waiting for the filling of the Spirit of God. And the Bible says, as the Holy Spirit came in like a mighty rushing wind and set upon every head that was there that day with tongues of fire, and they were, and all of them were, what? What does it say there? They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And so there was a moment in time that was they were already believers. Were they believers in Jesus? Oh, you better believe they were believers in Jesus. They, they, they'd actually uh, had had conversation with him before he was ascended back to the right hand of God the Father. But nevertheless, there was that moment that they said, now this is the filling of the Spirit of God. So there's a beginning point where the Holy Spirit brings you, introduces you to Jesus. He lives inside of you. Yes, he's there. There's a moment in time when you begin to open your life to the fullness of the Holy Spirit, but it doesn't stop there. Notice now in Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. The word that's used here for being filled with the Spirit is the, the phrase is written in the Greek language, keep on keeping on. Say it with me. Keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on being filled with the Holy Spirit. This, you, you know, here's the problem with us as Christians. We leak, right? Anybody got real filled with the Spirit on Sunday, but something happened on Monday, okay, right? Actually, sometimes it happens in the parking lot before you leave church, okay? Yeah. So you, this is very important. I want you to get this. This is extremely important, not only doctrine, but experience in your life. When you invite Jesus in your life, what happens? Who comes to live inside of you? Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. Is that enough? No. There needs to be the seeking of God for the filling of the Holy Spirit, you know, that you're filled up. Lord, I want to be full. And then being filled with the Spirit, what do you want to keep on doing? Keep on keeping on being filled with the Spirit of God. That's a process in your life. Let me give you another statement. The reason this is so important is because we have the potential of doing this. And do not grieve, grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. See, the reason that we need to make sure that we're staying up to date with God is because you can grieve the Holy Spirit. That word means to cause pain or to cause sorrow. One of the translations of the words means, means to, to create tears is the idea. You know what grieving is about. And so there are things, there are attitudes that we can have, there are words that we can speak, there are things that we can do that grieve the Spirit of God. And that's why we need to make sure that we're keeping things right with God and getting back in right relationship with Him. Now, when the Holy Spirit is working as the Holy Spirit desires in your life, some beautiful things happen. Let's take a look at some things that are promised related to the Holy Spirit. But the advocate, these are the words of Jesus, John 14, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will do what? Teach. 
teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Here's what you need to understand. You can't understand this book without the Holy Spirit. You can't, okay? The best way to understand a book is know the author, correct? Okay? And the author of this book is the Holy Spirit. He inspired men to write these words that you find in the pages of Scripture. And that's why when we come together and you, as we're hearing the Word of God preached or as you read your Bible, the Holy Spirit teaches you things. Have any of you ever been reading your Bible before and you saw something you didn't see before and it helps you understand something in your life? Was that because you were so smart that day? No, it's because the Holy Spirit showed you something that day that you needed to understand. Many of you have been sitting in a service like we are this, this weekend and something that was said out of Scripture or a point that was being made, the Holy Spirit taught you something from that. And that's what the, that's the ministry ministry of the Holy Spirit. I got to move on because we've got a lot to cover. John 16 verse 13, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will do what? He will guide you into all the truth. How many of you know that sometimes we live in lies, right? You ever, ever had a lie that was in your head and you couldn't get it? You didn't, you didn't even know it was a lie, but you're believing, you're acting in a certain way because you got a lie here, but the Holy Spirit has to open you up through His Word and through His work and help you understand, guiding you to all truth. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is yet to come. Take a look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive. Anybody need some of this in your life? You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So we see all these different elements of what the Spirit of God does in our life. We're not through yet. Romans 8, 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. So the Bible teaches us that we need help even in praying, and the Holy Spirit will help you pray for things that you don't know how to pray for. So it's vital that we have the right Spirit and that right spirit as Daniel had, we see it, the Spirit of God was in him. You might say, well, how does this work in my life? How can I get that, Pastor? Well, Je Jesus made it clear in Luke eleven thirteen. 13. If you then, though you're evil, all of us are evil compared to God the Father, correct? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven do what? Give what? The Holy Spirit to those who are really good. No. To those who have a perfect record. Is that what it says? No. Aren't you glad it doesn't say that? Aren't you glad it doesn't say that? Okay. It's not about your performance because anything that comes to you from God, whatever comes to you from God, always comes by grace. We don't earn anything. Okay. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who do what? Ask Him. I want to encourage you. What did I say as I began this message? Your spirit can lift you or your spirit can lower you. Your spirit will take you somewhere good or the, your spirit can take you to places bad. You need the right wind power in your life. And the right wind power starts with being filled with, controlled by the Spirit of God. And He will do it for you if you get on your knees and sincerely begin at God, I'm asking you to fill me with the Holy Spirit. 
Maybe you've been filled with the Holy Spirit in the past. God, I'm asking you to keep on keeping on me. I want a fresh filling. I want to make sure all the holes in my soul are plugged so that I'm not draining out, if you will, your presence and your work in my life. But you've got to ask him. By the way, this same phrase, as I mentioned a moment ago, for the uh, being filled with the Spirit, the same term in the Greek language is used here, keep on asking not because he doesn't want to respond. It's that you and I need to stay in that mode that we're always asking God for this freshness at work in our life. So the first thing to have your wind power, the wind blowing you in the right direction. What do you need in your life? You need to be what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's number two. I'll cover these fairly quickly. Number two, you've got to determine to grow. I'm going to lay this out for you as best I can, as quickly as I can, so I can move on to the third and final point here that I want to spend a little bit more time on. Real growth, listen to me, real growth requires this. You've got you to have determination. Because growth is hard. It's easy not to grow, okay? But when it comes to spiritual growth and just growing as a person, growing in whatever responsibilities that God has given you to do, it's not easy. You've got to determine. You've got to make up your mind that this is what I'm going to do in my life. And one of the things that distinguished Daniel from all the others around him is that you see, if you study the story of Daniel all the way through from chapter 1 to the end of the book, you'll see that Daniel was a growing... He's, he starts out good anyway in chapter 1, but he just gets better over time. He, he, just like, he just ages in such a beautiful way, and he's better and better and better over time because there's something in Daniel that is continuing to grow. From the moment that we're first introduced to Daniel, throughout the entire story of his life, you see that he, there's this continual growth, and you see this continual maturity that happens inside of him. I'm going to bring you to one of those the stories next week as we wrap up this series together. He grew in his relationship with God, no question about that. He grew grew in his character, certainly no question about that. He grew in wisdom. He grew in knowledge because, in fact, the further along he gets, he's helping kings and serving different people in great wisdom and great knowledge. He developed his skills, his relational skills, his, 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 his working skills. But I want you to know that if you want the wind of God and the wind of your life that leads you in a better way in your life, you've got to determine to grow. You've got to determine that I'm not going to stay the same. I want to give you one passage here in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. Notice what it says here, very vital phrase is that you don't want to miss. Let me stop here for a moment. Don't pay attention to me because I want you to have wind that blows you in the right direction. Amen? God wants to set your sails toward victory and blessing and success. You need the Spirit of God, but you've got to be a growing person. Okay? Look at what it says. For this very reason, Peter writes, applying all what? Applying all what? What is diligence? Diligence is hard work, okay? It is not easy to grow. For this very reason, applying, applying your diligence to the divine promises, make every effort in exercising, this is the Amplified Version, in exercising your faith to develop moral excellence, and in moral excellence, knowledge, insight, understanding, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, steadfastness, Steadfastness is something a lot of people don't have. They can, be, they can be good for a while, but they don't stay with it. And in your steadfastness, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly affection, and in your brotherly affection, develop Christian love that is learned to unselfishly love, seek the best for others, and do, do things for their benefit. Notice this last statement here. 
For as these qualities are yours and are, and are what? Could we add this word here? And are? For, remember all that list of things he just talked about? Steadfastness and brotherly love and kindness and all those things. He says, for as these qualities are yours, as you possess them, but you don't just have them at a level, and they are what? They're increasing. And then we say here, and they amplified, in you as you grow toward spiritual maturity, they will keep you from being useless and unproductive. Please note that. They will keep you. Nobody wants to be useless, and nobody really wants to be unproductive. But I promise you this, that if you're not growing at some point in time, you're going to be useless, and you're going to be unproductive, because the world around you, the needs around you, will outsurpass where you are in your life. Okay? You can be a great a mom or dad when your kids are three, but you better grow some by the time they become a teenager. Because if you haven't grown any yourself by the time they become a teenager, I'm not saying you're going to be perfect, but you better get some new thinking because they're going to stretch you at a level uh, that you haven't been stretched at. I mean, three-year-old, you can tell them to go to their room, okay? 17-year-olds is a little harder to do, right? So you have to develop. So that's just an illustration. But what I want you to see is that it will make you either useful or useless, uh, productive or non-productive in regard to the true knowledge and greater understanding of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what do you have to do? You got to determine to grow. You got to be a gr- that's why you need to be in classes. That's why I would really encourage you, if you haven't signed up yet to be in Steps to Freedom, get, get signed up for that right away this year. It's a great thing to start with. Maybe you've never done something like that before. Get in a class, learn, grow, because it'll help you to be more useful to God and more productive. Let me get to my third point. Last point here. Here it is. Refuse to be what? Ordinary. Ordinary. Oh, my goodness. So what are we talking about? Get your wind power, right? You need the wind blowing in your direction. Wind pushing you toward the right things in life, pushing you toward where you need to be. And that happens with the right spirit. And to have the right spirit, you have to have the Holy Spirit at work inside of you. You've got to second of all determine, I'm going to grow. I'm putting some effort in this thing. I've got to get my sails set where they need to be set. I've got to grow, and then I've got to refuse. I've got to say, no, I will not be ordinary. I refuse to be ordinary. Anybody can be ordinary. Requires zero effort to be ordinary. Now, we'll tell you something about the highway of the ordinary. The highway of the ordinary is very crowded. Because the highway of the ordinary is primarily where everybody's going in life, just to be ordinary. But I will tell you something else. The highway of the extraordinary is uncrowded. There's very few people. You know why? Because you have to pay to get on that road. It's called a toll road. And if you're not willing to pay the toll to get on the uncrowded road, how many know that if you find a, a, one of the HOV lanes and it splits off to, what do you call the little thing you get on your, 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 your dashboard, whatever that thing, I can't remember the name of it right now. Yeah, yeah, the pass, whatever, easy pass, there you go. And so when you know that you slip over into the easy pass lane, somewhere, somehow, you're passing over little things, they're going to send you a bill for it. 
You're going to get a bill. It's going to charge you because you're in the easy pass lane. It's not that it's an easy pass. It just gives you a lane, and it's very uncrowded, uh, much less crowded than the other lanes. Why? Because nobody wants to pay for it. Okay. Well, the same is true in life. When it comes to being extraordinary, it's easy to get on the road that everybody's on. But if you're going to get on the extraordinary road, you're going to have to pay for it along the way. Daniel had an extraordinary spirit. He was not on the ordinary path. Take a look at Daniel chapter 5, verse number 12. Daniel 5, 12 again. Daniel, this Daniel who had been renamed Belshazzar, was found to have knowledge, judgment, and and extraordinary spirit. Some translations speak of this as, as, a, uh, as a spirit of excellence, an excellent spirit, extraordinary spirit. He has the ability to interpret dreams, solve riddles, and untangle problems. Now call Daniel. He will tell you what it means. One of the reasons they called on Daniel is because he had not only the spirit of God in him, not only was he a growing man, but he was also a man who possessed what? An extraordinary spirit. Now the word extraordinary means it's, you stand out doesn't mean you're trying to stand out. It just means you stand out by reason of your nature. You're creme de la creme. You stand out for the right reasons. And that, that, that's what really was going on with Daniel. He stood out for the right reasons. When the queen was trying to help the king figure out who could help him in this situation with the handwriting on the wall, there was no question about it. She says, I know somebody. He stands out. He helped Nebuchadnezzar. He has an extraordinary spirit in his life. The wind of his spirit is extraordinary. What helps somebody to become extraordinary? I'll tell you what will help you become extraordinary. I was, reading, I was actually watching a documentary recently on, um, in, on the NBA, and um, it was going back into the late uh, 80s and, and 90s, early 90s, and there was a rivalry that had happened, big rival, those of you who are basketball fans will remember, and are old enough to remember this, will remember the rivalry between the Celtics and the Lakers. Anybody remember that rivalry? Okay. And the Celtics had a star, his name was Larry Bird, exactly right, and the Lakers had a star, and his name was? Magic Johnson, okay. And Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, they were always back and back, back to back. Who's going to be? They had a rivalry. Originally became great friends, uh, as the documentary talked about. But it talked about the work ethic of those two, those two men in the NBA. And the off-season, gave one example. In the off-season, Larry Bird, when everybody else was taking vacations and hanging out and doing whatever they wanted to do, Larry Bird would go out every day and make sure he shot at least 2,000 shots per day. And so Magic Johnson learned that he did 2,000 shots, so he's got to do 2,001 every day. Okay. <laughs> so it's the back and forth. They were making each other better, but they didn't want to be ordinary basketball players. I read a story about Kobe Bryant, and Kobe Bryant actually would get up in the middle of the night to do workouts. One of his trainers got a call at 3.30 in the morning asking him to come over and help him to do some workouts, and I think he, he, he worked out before he would go to practice every day. What you see is if you want to be ordinary, you don't have to pay a price for it, but if you want to be extraordinary, it's going to cost you something, and I believe that God made you not for the ordinary. God made you for the extraordinary, okay? I believe there's an extraordinary purpose for your life. If there's something that God wants to do in and through you, but you're going to have to do a little extra work, I'll tell you the difference between ordinary 
and extraordinary. It's called, here it is, it's called, are you ready for it? Extra. Amen. That's the difference. And you're going to have to put, put in a little extra work, and you're going to have to think a little deeper than maybe other people think. You're going to have to serve a little better than other people serve. You're going to have to care a little more than other people care. You're going to have to have a commitment that goes a, a little further than other people's commitment. You've got to have a, have a dedication that goes beyond just the normal dedication. No, ordinary people, oh, they're, they're problem creators and they're problem identifiers and they're problem complainers, but I will tell you, extraordinary people are problem solvers. They fix things. That's exactly what's going on for Daniel. He knows how to solve riddles and untangle what? Problems. He, he's the guy that you need. He can figure this stuff out. Jesus himself talked about the extraordinary life. Listen to what he said. In Matthew 5, part of the Beatitudes, if a soldier, he's telling his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, if a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, what does it say next? Boy, we, we really need the two-mile spirit, don't we? What does that mean? I've explained it to you before, but I'll take a moment to explain it again. Back here in Jesus' day, they were under Roman rule, and under Roman rule, a Roman soldier could walk up to any citizen in Israel and say to that person, I want you to carry my pack. You've got to carry my weight for the next. They had a requirement by law. They had to carry it one Roman mile. At the end of a Roman mile, you could take the backpack off, drop it down, and you're free. But you have to carry at least one mile. Jesus said, if a soldier comes up to you and, and asks you to carry his backpack for a mile, when you get to the first mile, volunteer to go to the second mile. Why? Because the first mile is ordinary. It's required. The second mile is extraordinary. And in the second mile is where you build more than likely... That soldier is going to ask you a question. Why are you doing this for me? And this is going to provide an opportunity for relationship and connection. You always win on the second mile, okay? It's the second mile that gets you where you need to be in life, okay? It's not the first mile. There's a lot of people that they just do what they got to do and get by with it. If that's how you want to live your life, that's the choice that you'll make. But if you choose to do what Jesus said, then you go the second mile. And that's what separates people into a whole new realm of blessing and a whole new realm of influence. Listen to these as we wrap up. We're just about done. Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work it at with all your what? Not part of it. As working for the Lord, not for human masters. Most people put in what's required, but they don't do it with all their heart. That's what we're instructed to do. Why? Because we're called to be extraordinary. Take a look at this when we're done. And oh yes, tell Archippus, do your what? Now, by the way, Archippus was someone who was engaged in ministry in another church that Paul was writing to, and he wanted to pass on this information to the pastor of the church at Colossae. And so this is a message being sent to this particular man. It was a reminder to him. Archippus, do your best in the job you've received from the... Do you believe your job you received from the master? Okay. Do your best in the job you received from the master. And then he adds this next statement. What? Do your... This is the message paraphrase, but it renders such a good rendering of this. So powerful. 
And when you do your best in what you've been given by God and do our very best, what we're doing is we're going the extra mile. We're having an extraordinary spirit. We're going to conclude right there, but I don't want you to miss what we've talked about this weekend. Because there's winds that can push against you or there are winds that can push you forward in life. I don't want to be pushed back. I want to push forward. How about you? I want to set my sails so I'm working with God. There's enough hardship and challenges in life anyway. So I want to get my sails set so that I'm in flow with God. How do you get in flow with God? What did Daniel do? He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He determined that he was going to do what? Grow. And what else did he do? He made sure his spirit was not ordinary. He made sure his spirit was extraordinary. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We're so very grateful for the opportunity we've had to study your word. We thank you for the example of Daniel. What an amazing example he is to us. And Lord, I pray tonight in the name of Jesus that you would take this message and stir our hearts. Lord, none of us are where we need to be in this, but we want to ask you to help us, Lord, to allow your spirit to work inside of us, to teach us those things that we need to learn. Lord, we want to get the wind of your Holy Spirit, the wind of life as you've designed it, to flow toward us, to move us forward to the purposes and plans you have for our lives. Help us to cooperate with you, we pray in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me, and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray, and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out, and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God, and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus... I know that that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out and you become a new creation. All things pass away, all things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time.